KG, and this is not safe for networks. Montucky skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. How's it going, Brandon? Oh, I'd say living the dream, but I feel like that's a little cliche at this point. <laughs> now that I called you out on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so we got a bunch of stuff to get to tonight. Uh, it's probably not going to be a longer podcast because I have to work early in the morning, but uh, my work schedule changed, and so therefore the podcasting schedule is going to change. So there won't be a show this Thursday, but every Thursday after that, we're going to try and do a show. So so just so you know, don't look for it on Tuesdays anymore. It's not going to be there. week from Thursday is our next show. So I guess we'll take an extra couple of days to uh, get a great show going, hopefully. Come in hot and heavy. Yeah. With an extra two days of material. More, an extra two days of Black Panther rolling through my head. Yeah. We'll definitely be talking about it. It won't be timely, but we'll be talking about it. (laughs) So we can do that spoiler-filled review, and hopefully everybody will have seen it by that point. But I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, um... I want to start out talking about the Star Trek Discovery finale. I'm going to guess, like... No. (laughs) You're, what, episode one? (laughs) 1.5. Yeah. Well, I think it's technically the first episode, but it was two parts. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, 1.5. Well, basically, and I won't lay out too much because I know you're not there, but... um, (laughs) They basically wrap up the two major um, plots in the show, which I really liked that they wrapped them both up. They didn't leave loose ends there. They actually have like two themes that run through it with like the impending war with the Klingons, which I mean, they do it in a way where like they're clearly not done with the Klingons, but the main story that they were kind of hammering across is taken care of. So I like that. They also kind of had a, um, they finished the arc with the main character, Michael. So I was happy to see that. Like they kind of bookended to where it started. Um, the other thing I really enjoyed is they just had all of these callbacks to like old Trek <laughs> and they were great callbacks too. Uh, the first one I noticed was Clint Howard was in the episode. Nice. Now, Clint Howard has been in Star Trek. I think he's been on four different series at this point. And I couldn't tell you the middle two. I think he was on like Deep Space Nine and then Voyager, but I don't know what he did. But he was like one of his first acting jobs was he played like the little toddler in this one Star Trek episode where they had like a man's voice over it who was like talking. It was like kind of like a mischievous God thing. 
that they were dealing with, but it had the the body of a, a little child. So that was like one of Clint Howard's first roles. And he's in this and it was he's painted green. Like he's one of the green creatures, you know, that you know Kirk gets down with yeah. in the original series. And there's a few of them, but uh we get to see Clint Howard in, in the green makeup, which I really enjoyed. That's um, nice. Yeah. Another thing they had is around the same time they were frying up those uh, slug things that they put in people's ears in Star Trek 2. Oh. <laughs> Which is great. They're like frying them up and eating them. So. <sighs> That's the most disturbing part of Rathacon. Yeah, and we get to see drugs in Star Trek in this one Some too. drugs. Yeah. <laughs> one of the cast members has to do drugs. So that was fun. Uh, with Clint Howard. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if I could put that combination together like doing drugs with Clint Howard I don't that know that sounds like a bad bad situation. time but great story <laughs> right <laughs> it's basically like living the wraith if you've ever seen that movie it's Clint Howard is in that movie and he is America's darling I don't care what anybody says uh, anyway now the the best thing was they called back the very last scene. They're they're like flying off to Vulcan and they get a distress signal from the Enterprise. And so you get to see the Enterprise in the last shot. And this is the Captain Pike run Enterprise, which means Spock's on board as a science officer. So I thought that was really cool. And the creators were talking about it and they were saying that um because Michael is a half-sister of Spock, and it's never talked about. And so they were they were saying like they were going to resolve that. And you may not necessarily see Spock. It sounds like we're probably not going to see Spock in this episode, but they're at least going to resolve that plot line. Or, or like, kind of like people are always like, why didn't he ever mention he had a half-sister? However, I will say, in Star Trek V, he's got a half-brother, and he has never, ever talked about that half-brother until you see him. So this does fit in Spock's character, I will say. <laughs> Do you remember that one at all? The Final Frontier? It's awful. It's just terrible. I know I've watched it, but... Yeah, it's the one that... It's the one that Shatner directs and, like, Spock. Is that the one where they go find God? Kind of, but not really. What does God need with a spaceship? Right, right, because Kirk is like, what does God... Need with the spaceship. <laughs> like over and over again. Yeah, it's that one. Yeah. <laughs> Not the best one. I saw that one in the theater, too. Um, I don't know if I've ever, like, until the J.J. Uh, Abrams, I don't think I've seen any of the Star Trek in a theater. I believe I've seen most of them in the theater since Star Trek 3. Um, let's see. I saw Star Trek 3. And Coos Bay, Oregon. I saw Star Trek Four in Portland. Uh, Star Trek Five I saw in Coos Bay because we had moved back. Star Trek Six I saw in the the Gaslight here, which shut down. Um, let's see, Generations. I know I went with our friend, our old friend Abe Christensen. I don't remember if you went. Or I don't not. feel like I went to that. I definitely went with Abe and saw it, and I remember we were very excited to see like. Picard and Kirk on the screen together. Uh, 
Let's see, first contact I saw on Helena at the the other the other one that doesn't exist anymore. The um wait, which one? Wait, the gaslight was downtown, right? Yeah. So th- I saw th- I saw that one at the gaslight. The other the undiscovered country I saw at the circus. Yeah, the circus. Uh first contact in generations I saw at the gaslight for sure. Uh Nemesis, I didn't even know existed until I saw it on Showtime. <laughs> which is fucking bizarre because like I am a Star Trek fan. I've never been the biggest Star Trek fan, but I'm definitely like a Star Trek fan. And uh, I didn't even know that it existed. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt really dumb that I didn't know. But that was in a time with with bad internet. So, you know, it wasn't easy to be up on all this stuff unless you're actively searching it out. Um, And then I saw Nemesis at the Gaslight, I think. Um yeah, it was definitely at the Gaslight. And then the first Star Trek I saw at our Cinemark, because I tore down the old two and built the Cinemark. I, I just saw all three of them yeah. at the Cinemark, I think. so. Yeah, I've seen pretty much anything up to uh, DVD air I saw on VHS at home. Yeah. And then I saw the... The last couple, like First Contact, Nemesis, and I think I saw those on DVD. And then the J.J. Abrams joint. God, I've seen. Saw one, or the first, the first one down in Bozeman. The second one, I think I saw here in Helena. And I think the third one was out in Spokane. Okay. Yeah, uh, I Star Trek Three was not the first movie I saw. I've been told I saw E.T. with my grandma. Uh, so that was the first movie I saw, but I don't remember that at all. <laughs> like, even a little. I, I remember seeing it with my mom later, but that was in the time. Like, in the 80s, they would just rerun movies at the theater all the time. So that was a pretty common thing, especially for, like, a big movie like E.T., I think the first movie I saw in the theater was uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay. My mom took me to that one. I, I went to that one too, for sure. <laughs> yeah, another one reran at the theater. But Star Trek Three, so that's not the first movie I saw, but it's the first one I remember going to, for sure. Like, I remember getting, I think, like a Taco Bell jelly glass that had, like, <laughs> the Enterprise exploding, and I thought it was just awesome. I couldn't wait to see this movie, and I'll always love Star Trek Three. But I know part of that is nostalgia too. Yeah, I uh, God, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I've never seen any of the original movies in the theater. Yeah, yeah, I saw four of the six. the The first <laughs> movie I remember going to that like motion picture, like no, not the first. Abrams. No, it like first any movie. Oh. Like just talking about going to the theater. Yeah. The first movie I remember going to was uh, Major League. Okay. <laughs> wow, that was like 89, I think. Yeah, it's the first one I really Wasn't that remember. an R-rated movie? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Parents were great in the 80s. 
Well, I was wasn't living with my parents at the time. I was living with my grandmother. I think my cousin was working at the theater, and so we went to a shit ton of movies. Like, oh, nice that ter- during that time, and that's well, shit. The that movie theater still runs cheap movies. Like, I think they're because they have like most nights are like a dollar or two dollars. Like I think the like Saturday night seven PM showing is three dollars. What was the first R rated movie you saw in the theater? Major League. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you literally just said that. I think seven might have been the first R rated movie that I saw in the theater. I can't think of one before that, but I'm not gonna say it's for sure. No, we probably went to horror movies before that, right? Yeah, because that was, they did that, Seven was kind of the turning point where they really started, like, enforcing the the ratings at movie theaters. Okay. Because I think it was Seven that, like, they really, like, pushed that. In, we still saw it underage. Yeah. <laughs> Which we recounted that yeah. a, a couple months ago, so we won't go through yeah. that again, but... Yeah, I think that might have been the first R-rated movie, but now I'm thinking about it, and like I definitely saw a lot of horror movies in the theater in high school. So now I'm thinking like maybe that's not the case. It, they might have been PG-13 horror movies, but I'm betting there was a couple R's snuck in there. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember like what was PCU rated? Is that PG-13? I think that's PG-13. That'd probably be an R movie now. With all the drug use. Yeah, just the way with the way that it's aged. Like it's definitely they would not give it a PG thirteen, but they would probably also put in a few more risque things into it too. Because they know that they were going for R. Yeah. I would be willing to bet if they if they had done it today instead of nineteen ninety, whatever. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh I watched I Tanya. Um just continue on my Oscar movies. I meant to watch another one, but that's the only one I got in. Um, that movie is fucking just tragic and hilarious. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know like any other way to describe it. It's it's told from the point of view of Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli. So her ex-husband who actually put the bat to Nancy Kerrigan's knee. And uh, it's it's written from their or like it's it's told from their perspectives too. Like not only was the screenwriter talking to them, but like it's it has them like in kitchens and stuff telling the story, but like their characters telling the story or the people playing. So like Margot Robbie playing Tanya Harding is like telling the story and then reenacting it as well. <clears throat> and it's uh, it's. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's way more fun than it should be for like a fucked up like <laughs> event that happened. But uh, for people too young to remember what happened with Tanya Harding, basically Tanya Harding was a figure skater and she was kind of rednecky. And uh, she like, I, I remember she skated in the mall in Portland. Like she couldn't afford to like, pay for like private practices and things like that so she would actually skate in the mall and uh 
So she was like a bit like people in Oregon like fucking loved her. I remember growing up and it was a really big deal. You know, the fact that she went to the Olympics and and uh, when she went to go. So Kerrigan won the gold at the first Olympics. She went to, I think, in 90. I think it was the 96, I think. No, it was way Yeah, before. it was the 90s, dude. 100% positive. I just watched Because I thought movie. it was the 90s. It was when we were in high school that it happened. Because I thought the so attack happened in the 92 Olympics. No, it was... Maybe it was... Oh, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. It was the 92 Olympics that she lost no, to Nancy Kerrigan. Was, no, no, no. It was the 92, and then they announced that um, they were switching the Winter Olympics to the off, like in between the Summer Olympics. So she went 92, and then they went 94 for the Winter Olympics because the Summer Olympics were in 96, and they've done it that way ever since. That's why the Winter Olympics is going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that that was like kind of a plot point mm. in the movie because she wasn't, she was like working at a fast food or like at a diner and just didn't give a fuck and was smoking and stuff. And her trainer came over and was like, so they just moved the, the Winter Olympics to 94. And she looks at her for a second and just stubs out her cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. But, uh, <clears throat> Anyway, like Tanya Harding was like really good, and Nancy Kerrigan had, had won the gold, and a lot of people didn't really accept Tanya Harding because of because of her image. Like she refused to like play the princess for everybody, and honestly didn't have the money to do it anyway. And yeah. so, and so Jeff Galuli, whether you believe Tanya Harding had a hand in it or not, they kind of play both angles of it in this movie because it's like. Jeff Galuli is more like, yeah, she knew. And Tanya Harding is, is saying that she didn't know. But essentially, Jeff Galuli was going to send a threatening letter to Nancy Kerrigan so that it would disrupt her practice and then like get in her head with the Olympics. And he talked to a guy who's actually played by... Who's the, who's the big guy? Uh, Moynihan? Bobby Moynihan, I think, maybe? From SNL? Yeah, I think so. I think he's in this movie. It just plays this fucking burnout idiot who's like Galuli's best friend. And uh, he's always talking about how he has connections and he's a hitman and shit. And so he like hires him to have somebody send the letter in Massachusetts so it looks like it's where she's practicing, that it's sent, so it's in her head. But like instead he winds up hiring the people to kneecap her. And so, like, shit just completely goes off the rail after that. And so that's essentially what happened. I mean, yeah. you get, like, their skewed perspectives on it. But it's just, it's way funnier than you would think it would be, the way it all plays out. And Allison Janney plays her mom, like Tanya Harding's mom, and she's just fucking awful like there's no <laughs> other clip i've it. seen of that has been she's just like an awful human being and that's because every every time you see her in the movie when she looks like she's about to say something encouraging she says something awful like every time <laughs> she is just an awful person my mom said that she saw a lot of interviews with her over the years uh, and like said, like Allison Janney just nails it. Like she's a terrible person. Now I was going into this thinking that um, 
uh, what's her face from Roseanne probably did a better job. Uh, Lori Metcalf for like the best supporting actress. But watching this man, I understand why Allison Janney's been the front runner. <laughs> Dude, she deserves an Oscar, man. She fucking nails it. <laughs> and I can't say, I can't say that I feel bad for Lori Metcalf. Like the fact that she's, knocked it out of the park with like ladybird is awesome but like dude allison janney is fucking great and she's like brings her a game in this movie like it's almost worth it to watch her just watching her and then she's always like has oxygen on while she's smoking a cigarette telling the story (laughs) Nice. it's fucking great dude it's so funny but definitely check out I, Tanya. It's it's pretty entertaining. Yes, it capitalizes on a tragedy, but like, you know, it's an entertaining it's, movie. I don't know. I remember like living through that and I was like, eh, eh. It, it, I mean, it's it sucks, but I, I was like. We didn't give a fuck. Yeah. We didn't give a fuck. Like Winter Olympics? You kidding me? Have you been <laughs> watching any of the Winter Olympics? No. No, I th- I think it was it was on the TV in the background somewhere I was at. There was some kind of skiing thing. I don't watch Winter Olympics. <sighs> Every now and then I get sucked into curling because <laughs> curling will suck you right. It's, in if it's fucking on. bizarre, <laughs> and I can't get over how bizarre it is. But I really feel like if they made a real curling like sports teams, like had an actual league, I would probably watch it if it was on like ESPN seven or something. <laughs> Eight, the Ocho. The Nueve. <laughs> <laughs> or no, that would be nine, right? Siete. 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 <laughs> it's been a long time. What, what, what word of the day? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been uh, watching a little bit of it. I watched, uh, what was it, 5,000 meter speed skating. Watched a little bit of that. That was extremely boring. Yeah. I mean, like... The people that were doing the announcing for it, because basically they're just going in this giant oval, and they were like digging, digging up stories just to like fill airtime. Because I mean, there's not much going on really. No, no. Um, and then I actually watched uh, the biathlon, which was way more interesting because that's the one where they, it's like a ski shotgun and shoot and shooting yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy <laughs> it's basically like i'm training to be in a bond film <laughs> it's basically, basically what it's doing um <clears throat> okay let's see here really great news i'm just the, all my notes are fucking they're chaos i didn't have a lot of time to prepare but i did get a lot of stuff to talk about so uh, Michael Fassbender and David Hasselhoff are doing Kung Fury 2. Yes. Now, this is a feature film that will be set in 1985 in Miami, so same year that the first one was in, which is kept under the watchful eye of the police officer, Kung Fury, through his Thunder Cops police force. After the tragic death of a thunder cop causes the group to disband, a mysterious villain emerges from the shadows to aid in the Fuhrer's quest to attain the ultimate weapon. <sighs> so, they're making a feature-length sequel to Kung Fury, and it's going to get a theatrical release, it sounds like. That'd be awesome. Oh, I hope it comes to Helena. Please, please come to Helena. 
somehow we're gonna have to drive somewhere, aren't we? <sighs> we didn't get machete. No, I can't see getting this, but fuck. I, if there's a way to go, I'm going. I'm I'm I celebrate Kung Fury. I've watched Ugh. Kung Fury more times than I care to admit. We need to uh, uh me too. Yeah, <laughs> we need to get in touch with somebody at the Myrna, like. Get get a screening of this because you know the big theater is not going to show that. Yeah, yeah, I would rather see it at the Myrna anyway. You can drink beer, right? That's a, that's <laughs> a movie you want to drink a beer while watching. Yeah, I love the Myrna, man. Their screen looks real nice too. Like they got those nice projectors there too. Um, I really dig the Myrna. So yeah, I saw the Phantom Thread there. I saw the Shape of Water. I saw all kinds of movies at the Myrna. Like they're they're the place to go during Oscar season, but when it's not Oscar season, you never know. <laughs> Kung Fury Two is probably not going to come out in Oscar season. I'm going to guess. No, probably not going to nab any Oscars. But I mean, if they did, they're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you have not sat down and watched Kung Fury, look, I know it's hard to like pitch somebody to sit down and watch something on YouTube or Netflix. I think it's on both. It's just 30 minutes long. But if you want to dip a toe in and see whether you would like it or not, you will know instantly if you watch the trailer for Kung Fury. <laughs> it's just, I don't want to spoil anything in it. But if you watch that and you laugh, you're you're going to love that movie. Because it's a half hour of that trailer. Yeah. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, moving on. So I watched my next guest who ne- needs no introduction which is David Letterman's Netflix show. It's really fucking good. Do you remember like when we were in high school and David Letterman was cool and funny? I never thought, I never really cared much for David Letterman. Really? Yeah. Were you a Leno guy or just didn't give a fuck? Uh, more on the don't give a fuck. Yeah. I like Letterman and especially because I, didn't really watch any of the late night shows till I got older. And by that time, David Letterman had got in, into the old man phase where he yeah. like repeats himself and is just, just didn't care. Really irritating. And in fact, I was just, cause I was watching uh comedians and cars, cars getting coffee. coffee. Uh, I was watching an episode with him, with uh, David Letterman on that. And it was awful. Just oh, awful. Really? So this probably isn't for you. No. <laughs> That's why I haven't watched it. I really dug it because it was it was very similar to a podcast. Um <clears throat> the thing is is I used to love like the irreverent shit that Letterman did like way back in the day. I remember in the eighties I taped it sometimes and would watch like stupid human tricks or stupid pet tricks and stuff like that. I think it started out as stupid pet tricks and then it became stupid human tricks at a certain point. And the stupid human tricks was my jam. That's how I learned how to knock the bottle out of a beer or like the bottom of a bottle of a beer by just hitting the top of it. It's great. Or <laughs> <laughs> watching people in giant balloons and stuff. Like, I don't know. Just dumb, dumb tricks that, like, nobody should ever put on TV. And he used to do it all the time. But, uh, and he used to give really great interviews. Like, I've 
come across him on YouTube from time to time where it's just like, like he, he did something like 10 Hunter S Thompson interviews and they're fucking great. Cause he just lets Hunter be Hunter. And he's like really good at just saying like one or two things to like get Hunter going, you know? And he used to be really good. And I feel like the last, I don't know, 15 years of his show, it just seemed like he was checked out. And I guess he'd only record four days a week. Like the Friday show was like he would do a double show so he could have a three-day weekend. And he just seemed checked out all the time. And uh, with this show, it's like he does one interview a month. And then he does this long, like it's just him in a theater. And it's like... It depends on on who the guest is. It seems like like the theaters change, but he did Obama was one of the interviews and George Clooney was the other. But he's able to actually like have this long conversation and there's no band, there's no like skits in between or monologue or anything. It's just like this long conversation, and I really dig it. And then they intercut it with him talking with people in their background and like just doing the stuff that he kind of. It feels like the stuff he used to do in the 80s where he would just like walk around and like be talking with ordinary people, but like just finding funny little things. And I don't know, like I really dug it. Uh, the George Clooney one, I, this is the thing. <laughs> like, I know you're never going to watch this because like you don't like Letterman, you don't like Clooney, but like that interview, I, I dare you to watch it and not like Clooney by the end of it. Like, he's just. <laughs> He's fucking, he's just so grounded. And I kind of got a feeling, I'd never heard him talk about this before, but I got a feeling for why he's so grounded. Like, I had always assumed it was because he got famous, you know, in like his mid-30s, so he was already like a person. And so I I think by the time you hit your mid-30s, you're kind of who you're going to be for the most part. So if you're not always having people like cater to your bullshit all the time, you're not going to be that person, hopefully. And so I'd always thought maybe that's why George Clooney was. But he was talking about when he was in high school, like half of his face got paralyzed. And it was some weird disease that he had. But like his face was like fucking paralyzed. So he would like drool all the time and like had a hard time talking and stuff. So he was just like. You had to learn ways to be funny and charming just to, like, not be torn apart by everybody. And it was like, ah, like, it was a nice little insight to George Clooney because he went through that super awkward high school thing, like, on steroids. And, uh, you know, that's why it, that's why he seems to be a pretty good human being. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, does a lot for uh, for people in dart four and shit like mm-hmm. that. So anyway, it was just like, I, I think if anybody wants to sort of like watch a video podcast on, on Netflix, it's a good way to go. Like it, it made me appreciate David Letterman again, which it's been a while. Yeah. I was hopeful for this going in that it would be kind of like this, but it, it delivered. So I was happy there. So something I've been, they've been promoting on Netflix is they're going to have the, a Joel McHale show, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a weekly show mm-hmm. on Netflix. And I, the trailer for it's just like him standing in front of a green screen, uh, excuse me, green screen. So I'm not sure where they're going with it, but I'm looking forward, especially like 
the fact that it's going to be like a a week to week show. Yeah. They did that. I think they did a couple times a week with uh, Chelsea Handler when she had a show on there and it didn't really work out so well, but I don't think it's nice that they're experimenting and, and still trying stuff, you know? Um, I don't think the week to week show, I, I think that's a good idea. You know, uh, it gives people something to talk about and, I don't know. Like John Oliver. I fucking love it when John Oliver's on, you know? Yeah. It's, it's And I think they're basically coming back on the air at the same time. So the oh, new yeah. season, John Oliver's should be starting, I think, toward the end of the month. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I just got all my streaming stuff back up, so <laughs> I didn't get stars up yet. I'm literally gonna get it started like God, there's the day Ash versus so Evil much Dead stuff coming drops. down the pipe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get it right when Ash versus Evil Dead starts just so I can make the point the stars that like I might drop HBO for stars just <laughs> just to get Ash versus Evil Dead cuz right now I'm paying for HBO but I'm not watching it. Hey, if people haven't seen on Stars yet, the first two seasons dropped on Netflix. So, yeah, I've been rewatching them about a season and a half through yeah, it all. I thought about it. I thought about it, but I yeah, I've had things going on. It's funny because, uh, like, I skipped the first episode and, like, been watching it with the uh, kids because they both like the the second Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Why on earth did you skip the first one? The first episode? Yeah. Because of the sex in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can just skip over that part. It's the best episode. It's the Sam Raimi one, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, and now I'm like, so we're into the second season, and we're the episode where uh, the they go into the morgue and have to get the book out of the dead guy. Oh, God. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch this with my kids. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I wouldn't want to watch with my kids, for sure. Uh, speaking of Netflix, did you get to watch The Cloverfield Paradox? No. Okay, I saw it. I promised I was going to review it this week, last week. So, um. The hype is exactly right on it. It fucking sucks, and a lot of people watched it. <laughs> <laughs> That's glowing review there. Yeah, it's not good. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Visually, it's there. Uh, in terms of the tone, like it's got an even tone throughout. but And it dovetails on the first movie. They give a little telegraph that it's going to happen, and then they have the big reveal. But I feel like the big reveal at the end of the episode is fucking undercut by like the hinting that they have at the beginning of the. I said episode, but I mean a uh, movie. But that stuff doesn't matter. That's like connective tissue that I'm pretty sure was written in later. But this was originally a script called The God Paradox that they turned into this movie. Um, Basically what it is, is Earth is running out of energy sources and there's all these blackouts. And so these people in the space station are doing something to try and like magically get power. I don't know. They don't like it's all techno babble, you know, but they go to try it and then they realize that they've like jumped to another dimension. And so here's the thing, like they play with this idea of anybody that you knew like this lady has a family that died and 
it was kind of her fault. And then she goes over and she realizes that like her family is there. So like that's a nice little plot. And if they'd maybe hung on that more, it might have been a bad, better movie. But instead they had these weird things that happen. Like this dude's arm gets suddenly goes into a wall and then just disconnects. And then it's crawling around like Cousin It and like pointing at clues and stuff. But for all these bizarre things that happen... They seem bizarre to a lady who's on the ship who's from the other dimension. And so I'm like, what is this? Like, you jump to another dimension, you see odd things, but then the person who's in that dimension also thinks they're odd? That doesn't make sense. It sounds convoluted. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like it's a flawed premise. Like, if you're going to explore the other dimension, then explore it that way. But just by having this one character, they just undermined everything that that makes it make sense. Like to me, this 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 felt like, you know, I always say I'm a time travel like doctor. Like you could come to me with the <laughs> scripts and I'll fix time travel. I'm gonna add interdimensional tra- travel to this as well. We're just gonna cover the whole space time continuum. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> gonna, gonna cover all of that because this could have been so easily fixed by just having the character be like explain it or just be like have some kind of thing where it's like yeah that happens but that really bothered me um it had it had these little like the cast was good it had it could have been a good movie (laughs) it could have been a good movie it's just there's a certain things that just fucking fail and if i'm being honest it's pretty boring so uh JJ Abrams, you know, if you're if you when you're listening. Yeah. Cuz we know you're listening. Yeah, I mean Zach already met you. Zach was <laughs> friend of the podcast. Used to be you on know, the podcast. You know, before before you put this out. I think out, we could say JJ Abrams you just is friend to of like, the podcast. You just need to sit down and with with us here and we'll just give you some notes. We'll we'll get this straightened out. Dude, I gotta tell you, this is a couple episodes of running now, but Zach told me a fucking he <laughs> I can't give away the story, but he fucking told me something that is so fucking it was amazing and he had a picture to back it up. And I can't god damn it, I can't talk about it, but I really hope when Zach's back on that enough time has passed where he can talk about it. <laughs> I'll talk to you on the porch. <laughs> but, well, listen, I'm just going to tease that out there. Maybe next time Zach's on, he's going to have a really awesome celebrity story that will fit in perfect with this. And it's multiple celebrities, too. Like, at the same time. Oh, at the God same damn. time. God damn, I want to tell. I, I can't tell. <laughs> can't tell. But anyway, um, George Lucas... Did you hear he had a little something to do with the solo movie? No. <laughs> you don't sound excited. Not really. Yeah, so apparently he visited the set and he was hanging out with Ron Howard a little bit. Like they go way back. Like way yeah, back. Yeah, they like, do. Ron Howard was in uh George Lucas's first movie. Um the one where they're drag racing around. Oh, uh, American Graffiti? Yeah, American Graffiti. And then I think they worked together on Willow, didn't they? Didn't George Lucas have something to do with that? Maybe it was just Industrial Light and, and Magic. It but. might just be ILM, yeah. 
but they've definitely like worked together on some stuff and uh so some stuff like a bunch of stuff's coming out about solo but apparently he was walking around the millennium falcon set and uh mentioned something that han would like would do and ron howard loved it so they like put it into the movie so it's not like a plot changing thing it's just like some little scene but they wouldn't say what it was they just said it was something funny so yeah i guess we'll see but uh apparently harrison ford has quite was quietly coaching uh i don't know the guy's name all alderaan Still, let's call him alderaan <laughs> i don't know but uh the guy who's playing Han Solo now, uh, Harrison Ford, gave him some tips on like how he approached uh, Han Solo, which was basically he looked at it as if Han Solo was an orphan. And so he seeks out connections with people, but he's unable to maintain connections with people. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And I never thought of it that way, but I was like, that makes total fucking sense. That's exactly who he is. Like, he fucking loves Leia and Luke and Chewie and all these people, but he's always like yelling at them and like saying mean things and being selfish, you know, like he kind of dive bombs his own relationships, even though they make him stronger and he loves them, you know, which makes sense. Even when you go into uh force awakens, it continues on that. Cause he like left Leia, left Leia strange from his own son. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. Uh, definitely plays out all the way across but uh michael bay met with warner brothers <laughs> what is he ruining now oh dude no he can't ruin this <laughs> he's he's having notes that he made off of a lobo uh script and so a lobo script yes so lobo is this fucking over the top violent character in dc who like wears a leather jacket and rides in a space motorcycle. He's basically a biker in space. It's awful. We've we've <laughs> talked about it on the podcast in the past cuz this movie has been in development hell for about 7 years, I think. Like since the beginning of the podcast this thing has been in development hell. But um so Michael Bay like took some notes on a script and they're incorporating it into the script and representing it to him. And so, and then he's going to give an answer as to whether he'll do the Lobo movie or not. This is one time where I'm like, go for it, Michael Bay. Like DC is just pumping out bullshit all the time. Like why not attach Michael Bay to it and have a billion explosions? Like for Lobo, it makes sense to me because Lobo's a fucking terrible character. God. And he's exactly the type of character that Michael Bay would write. I would so not see this show. Oh, I'm not going to see it either. <laughs> I'm going to see it like from a distance as I saw the mummy, you know, the whole dark universe. Yeah. That already it dissipated. Just, it just dropped on uh, HBO streaming and I'm just like, oh yeah, I, I still have no interest to watch it. And it's <sighs> basically free. <laughs> I kind of want to watch it just so I can say I've seen all the Dark Universe movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awful. Well, I saw Dracula Untold because my wife wanted to go to it. It wasn't totally terrible, but it wasn't good either. And nobody had an idea it was the beginning of a cinema, like a new cinematic universe. And it didn't do as well as they hoped, so they just fucking quietly buried that and reset it with the mummy. And then that didn't work. 
Oh, dark universe. Never stop doing what you're doing. So I had a small heart attack when I was at the grocery store the other day. You had a small heart attack? Yeah. So I was walking past the newsstands on the way out because they usually have the newsstands right by the where the checkout counter was. And I was looking at the, just happened to catch the Great Falls Tribune. And it had like big bold letters across the front piano pat. Uh-oh. Was it a feature or did she die? So it was a feature. <laughs> so Piano Pat is at this bar. We've talked about it a couple times on the yeah. podcast, but the sip and dip. And it's like kind of like a tiki bar. And then it has a window on the back that's a swimming pool. And they, have, they hire people to dress as mermaids and mermen and come down and stare at you weirdly <laughs> like while you're drinking. And then Piano Pat... Just rips out all these tunes from the 60s through the 80s on these, like, two old-school organs. Old-school organs. Yeah, like, she's got a Casio keyboard from the 80s and, like, what looks like an organ that probably came out in the 70s. Like, that you would see in your house, you know, with the wood paneling and all that shit. So... If you're interested in learning more about it without vi- without visiting the Sip and Dip, which I highly recommend. If yeah, you're in do Great it before Fall. Piano Pat dies. That's the thing. She's in her 90s. Like, yeah. She ain't going to be around forever. So Lifetime is doing a, uh, a show called uh, Her America of 50 Women in 50 States. Dude, I got a reason to watch Lifetime now. Right? And they're, do- they're profiling... A woman from each state, and they chose Piano Pat to be the representative for Montana. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the very first guest I ever had on this show was this guy named John O'Dell. And uh, he was on episode two of Montana. <laughs> guys, you have to go to the archives to hear that one. If you're really, if you're really like curious. MontuckySkies.blogspot.com. I haven't thrown that out for a while. You can find all the past episodes. This is episode two. This is fucking old, okay? Like, the show is very different. But uh, John O'Dell, around that time, I don't think it was before we recorded. I think it happened after. But we went to the Sip and Dip around that time because we're in a hotel in Great Falls. And uh, he got really drunk and started hitting on Piano Pat. <laughs> and then at a certain point, he's like, what do you got in your juice there? You got?" And she goes, orange juice. And he's like, oh, yeah, you got some vodka in there? And she goes, it's for my diabetes. <laughs> he's like, that sounds sexy the way you say that. Like, he was so drunk. And she just, like, got up and walked out and just stopped <laughs> playing, dude. And I was like, John, <laughs> that's hilarious. But you shouldn't do that, man. That's Piano Pat. She's a legend. So that, She's a damn national treasure. Yeah, god damn it. You know yeah. who she is? I've seen her on Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. even one of the Lifetime things where you get kidnapped or anything. <laughs> Inspirational <laughs> Lifetime. <laughs> uh, Joaquin Phoenix and talks to play the Joker right now. They've officially dive-bombed Leonardo DiCaprio. Not happening. They did a feature, I think, in Variety for it. 
And uh, they didn't mention Martin Scorsese at all, so it's questionable as to whether he's attached to it anymore or not. Uh, I'm going to say no. (laughs) I never thought he was going to necessarily see this one through, but Joaquin Phoenix is in talks to do it, so. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be better than Jared Leto, right? Anything's got to be better than Juggalo. Joker? Juggalo Joker. (laughs) That's like a burp. Yeah, I caught that. A couple trailers to talk about. Uh, First, Venom. I saw nothing that made me want to necessarily see Venom, but nothing that made me not want to see it. I want to see it just because... I want to see more. I want to see more from it. All they showed was like, they showed Venom kind of in a vial, like being kept in a lab, and then like Tom Hardy screaming a bunch. That was pretty much the entire trailer. You think there's more, but if you watch it, you'll see there's not much more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I'm looking forward to... Uh, I do want to see it just because yeah. I do like a Tom Hardy movie. Yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, I like a Venom that's not Eric Foreman, so there's <laughs> that. There's, you can't get any worse than that, so... Yeah, I mean, you can, it can only but... go up. I mean, I guess you could get Jared Leto to play... <laughs> that would also not work (laughs) no matter how he tries to spin it uh let's see and then deadpool 2 trailer dropped i know you want to talk about that one yeah (laughs) are you talking about the one with the uh it was basically focused on cable yes okay it's focused on cable and then deadpool interrupts the middle of it to like play with his action figures of Deadpool and Cable. <laughs> and then it cuts back and shows all of them. Yeah, and then it actually like intercuts with Domino and the two X-Men that were in the previous yeah. one, Colossus and Negasonic and, Teenage Warhead. Yeah. And the the blind <laughs> That was my favorite part of the trailer. Blind Al. Yeah, where she like they're all they're basically in a Mexican standoff in his house and they're all pointing guns at each other and she pulls one out and he just kind of like takes his hand and pushes it five inches to the right. <laughs> so it's pointed at the right person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought it was, and I, I'm looking forward to this. I thought the best part of that, because they started out and they like showed Cable and they're like, what? We can't even CGI his arm at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that's arm. where it came up. That's right, because it was just like a green arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that. Hey, do you know in the first Deadpool, do you know why when he's in that cab, he has a bag of guns and he just goes, eh, and leaves it and he goes, this will be more fun. Like they were the prop guy forgot all the fucking weapons and shit that they were supposed to do, so they had to like do the scene on the fly. So then they recorded that scene in the cab just to like explain why he doesn't have all his weapons. <laughs> yeah. Well that and it was half a budget issue as well. Oh yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Like the budget guy couldn't afford to bring like, shit. Who knows? Yeah, because they because they really had like they had like uh, storyboarded an entire like scene with all the guns and shit, and then like they're like, oh, we can't afford the, like half of that. But it is like the most Deadpool moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Like, it totally fit the film, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so, that is so Deadpool to just be like, meh, and like, leave it there. Uh, I was, I was hearing somebody on, uh, actually, this other podcast, Geek in the City, talking about Deadpool 2. And <laughs> this guy, Aaron Duran, like, brought up the perfect fucking thing that I was thinking about, which is like, the Deadpool comics can be fun. But, like, you get really fucking sick of the people who read Deadpool all the time. Yeah. It's not Deadpool itself. It's, like, the fans of Deadpool that turn you off of it. And that's why I was, like, apprehensive about the movie until I actually saw the trailer. Because it's just, like, the people are just like, oh, my God, that looks so fucking sweet. You, like, kind of look at them and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to like the same thing that you like, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what? What really clicked because I have a nephew that is one of those fans you talk about that like reads the comics religiously, mm-hmm. like big. And Deadpool that's not to fans. say all fans are no. I'm, I'm just but. I'm just giving an anecdote here. And when uh, they first started like really pushing the first Deadpool movies, like I don't want to see that. And that was the point where it's like that's when I want to see this movie. <laughs> when they're turned against it <laughs> when the hardcore deadpool fans are like no i don't want to see that <laughs> idiots <laughs> yeah it's just like it's it's like a type of person it's the type of person who finds farts too funny yeah and i mean like my, they're grown adults it's my nephew is like a well he's 15 now so i mean just that really early teenage boy mentality where everything is stupid funny. Yeah. Where they just say something dumb over and over again because that's their humor. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's classic 15-year-old <laughs> teenage boy right there. And I and I know I'm this cuz I was a 15-year-old. Yeah, me too. Teenage me too. Boy. You say some non sequitur over and over again. And just like that's the fucking punchline, and then it becomes an inside joke with your friends, and then everybody says it, but everybody on the outside is like, "That's fucking dumb." And but you're a fifteen year old, so you own it. Classic fifteen year old move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have one other story I want to get to, and and then I got nothing. But um, this couple flew to Belfast, Ireland. Oh God, I read this. Yes. <laughs> To see the red hot chili peppers. And they thought they were getting a deal because it was only 41 pounds. And it turned out it was a band called the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Pipers. It was bagpiping music. It was a bagpipe tribute band to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Dude, that's a great fucking story. I don't. I, I know there's probably been a few people who have stories similar to that, but I mean, that's could you got imagine you all like over. F- like flying from the U.S. all the way to Ireland, Ireland, it's and then find out crazy. you're not seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I only had to drive to the gorge, and there was no bagpipes. So was that when you were living in Olympia? Or nope. did you drive from Herlina? So that was, I believe, holy fuck, when was that? I feel like that was like the summer of 2000. It, it was, yeah, yeah, summer of 2000 because Californication came out in like 99, right? 
So it was like God, the summer. Yeah. So it was the summer after that. And that's when I saw the Foo Fighters were like opening for the Chili Peppers. God damn it. I'd love to see that show. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The Foo Fighters are totally worth it. The Chili Peppers are not good live. Sorry. They like have. I can see that. Like, they have a couple of great albums. Like Blood Sugar Sex Magic and Californications are like great with a capital G. Like they're awesome. They fucking suck live, dude. Anthony Kiedis goes tone deaf. Like, uh, um, Flea is great. Chad Smith is great. The drummer. Fucking, uh, John Frusciante was like doing a like a fifteen minute guitar solo that was just like for like five minutes. It was awful, just fucking awful. And then because Californication was so big, that was back when I used to watch MTV a lot, and I remember seeing them do various live things a lot. And I was like, oh, they just fucking suck live. <laughs> Like I, because I remember seeing all that after I saw him on tour, and I was like, "Oh, that that's the same bad level that I heard." So, oh, so I've uh, found this new app that, uh, well, I guess it's not a new app, but it's new to me. Um, it's called Discogs. Okay, and basically, it's a way to like, um. Input all of your, like, I put all my vinyl, or I haven't quite got all my vinyl collection on, but you can input what, and it'll tell you what the album's worth, like, the history, when, it, like, what pressing it is, like, if it's an original pressing, if it's a reprint, or That's repressing, cool. remastered. How do you put it in there? Uh, So there's, on, like, Usually somewhere on the cover of the album, usually on the spine or on the back cover, there's a number that's like eight digits. Okay. And this goes way back to like the 50s. So it's some kind of cataloging number? Yeah. Okay. And so you just look up like, just for uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californications, if you looked up Californications, and there's like... 15 different versions of that and you just look like 180 gram and the cheap one that they press out yeah and so a couple of different remasters uh united states version the uk version german german version japan version that shit used to matter remember when that shit mattered i mean like really mattered like what what version you got of an album i do into the band because like you could get tracks or takes that were different for god knows what reason yeah they thought it would sell better somewhere else but yeah like i remember being so into nine inch nails it was like that shit mattered when you like got like a european version or something yeah because i have like italian versions and like different versions so you can actually like look up what different versions of stuff you have and it'll like give you a overall appraisal of your vinyl collection and so far what i have is worth anywhere from 1500 to 3500 dollars wow which like really surprised me like how much that shit adds up cuz i usually go and like 
most of my collection is like buying shit like at garage sales for like a dollar, two dollars. Are you putting in stuff um, like the condition of the records and things like that, or does it just assume that they're mint? No, it it gives like a uh, a range, so it has like near mint, good condition. Does or, it have a breakdown for each each condition or it? It well because it actually goes off of what's selling because you can actually buy and sell records off this app, so it kind of goes off what has sold based on what condition it is. Okay, and I've been going through my collection. I've got about thirty or forty albums left to go left on that. And the most expensive album I own is a John Frusciante album. Yeah, they're hard to find. Extremely hard yeah. to find. Greg had a CD of it, and uh, he had to, like, he had to bootleg it. Like, we drove. He had to order it at Rock and Rudy's in Missoula, and then we had to drive out to Missoula like three months after he ordered it to get it. Because it was so fucking hard to find. I all I really remember about it was there was a, a track on there that was like your pussy's glued to a house on fire. It was like one of the lines. And it's a fucking terrible album. <laughs> like Greg wanted it because he was so into the chili peppers, but like it's a terrible album. Yeah, and this one, like, I haven't I've never cracked a seal on it. Uh it was something that uh Adrian had given me. Okay. And I was just like going through, just cataloging stuff. I'm like, starts at 200. Like the the version he gave me is like a rare first pressing. Holy shit! So it's worth anywhere. Starts at 200. Like on eBay right now, it's going for like 350, 400 dollars. Jesus, dude! <sighs> I had one record that I gave to somebody. Um, Man, that I would like to look up, but I know it was fucking valuable. It was this uh, Brian May solo thing where basically he was, he got together with Eddie Van Halen and uh, I don't remember the other two guitarists, but it was like two other famous guitarists. And they just fucking, they did two tracks. They did this one that was a cover of a science fiction show, like kids song. It was a kid science fiction show from like the early 70s in Great Britain. And so it was like shit that like they all watched or something. And so they did like a cover of that song. And then the second side is uh, it's just like them jamming. And it's not fucking good. But like <laughs> I, I had like I had heard it on the Internet, but I found it at a record shop. And I was like, holy fuck, because I knew I knew that was fucking worth a lot because I had like all of these like queen diss things. And that was like everything I saw. It was just like, this is the rarest thing for any member of queen that you're going to find. And, uh, yeah, I, and I fucking gave it away and I'm still fucking kicking myself for fucking <laughs> giving that away. It was basically a neighbor was like really into vinyl and a badge ran out and almost got hit by a car and he like stopped like he called badge over before he got hit and then like brought him back to my house. And so out of appreciation, I gave him that vinyl. I knew he was a queen fan too. So 
Fuck, man. <laughs> Badge, you done fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this is probably a good place to cut this off. Yeah. So take it easy. with restless green lanterns light asl adventures in a dimensional exchange association is this yours no your i mother said she found them on your phone i don't know a guy must, must have, have what look dad they're not mine alien movie project we had a good life montucky skies real roulette where'd you get it dad answer me who taught you how to listen to this stuff you all right i learned it by watching you Parents that use podcasts have children that use podcasts. Brought to you by the partnership of the Not Safer Network.